And so if you're struggling with generalized anxiety or depression or any other mental health diagnosis, or even in the absence of a diagnosis, if you're just stressed or sad or something hard is in your life and you're not able to cope with it, ask for help. And my hope for the listeners is that you have someone in your life that is there to be supportive, that when you ask for help, they meet that need. Um, and if they don't, don't give up. Keep asking for help. Maybe you're asking someone else or looking for a different resource, but don't suffer. Welcome to the Break the Chains, Find Your Flame podcast. My name is Steve Wolpolinick. I'm a licensed mental health counselor and one of the founders of the Promethean Project. Our guests are people who have broke the chains of their limitations and found the strength of their potential. We offer their stories as inspiration and as guidance to help others navigate their quest to find their flame. Welcome back, listeners, episode 75. Today, with your host, Steve Opolinick, our guest today is a good friend of mine, Nikki Fine. Nikki and I met years and years ago when we were volunteering for a local domestic violence shelter and have been friends ever since. It's been a blessing and an honor to see Nikki grow in what she does, and we get a little bit into that in the podcast. Nikki has a background in social work, and we talk about how she grew in this area and then transformed what she's doing now due to the pandemic and due to being a new mom and how the pandemic and being a new mom interplayed with each other and how that affected her to move forward in her life, ask for help dealing with some some issues after childbirth and dealing with the pandemic and what she's doing now, which is the biggest transformation in her career and her personal life merging together. And it's a company called Potted with Purpose. And I don't want to ruin too much on the intro, so you'll have to listen to the whole podcast to check it out. But it's awesome. And I think it's the wave of, of where we're going with mental health supports and making it more community-based. And I'm really excited for you all to take a listen. So without further ado, here's Nikki. In a world where humanity's potential is imprisoned and locked away, our only hope is to break the chains and find our flame. It's always good when, you know, we can get two birds with one stone, record a podcast and help motivate to clean, you know. I mean, by clean... I just shifted stuff to the, <laughs> the desk that's off screen, <laughs> but <laughs> then I will have to clean that up. So, Well, welcome to the podcast, Nikki. So excited Thank to have you. you here today. As we were talking before we started recording, it's been a long time since we've been able to chat or see yeah. each other, even if this counts as seeing, right? Through Zoom, I guess it counts now. Yeah, 2D instead 2D. of 3D. <laughs> yeah, you know, and so excited to have you on because I'm so excited about everything you're doing in life you. and you know the passions that you're pursuing and just the journey and that's a lot but before we get into that which we <laughs> will talk about 
Um, I'm wondering if you could give our listeners a little introduction on who you are and how you got here, you know, the existential life kind of headed <laughs> uh, points. Okay, sure. Um, so my name is Nikki Sinopoli Fine. I'm a clinical social worker in LICSW. And pre-pandemic, I was working as a geriatric psychotherapist. I was in private practice for a number of years. Before that, I worked in the nursing home industry as a social worker uh, at a couple of different nursing homes. Um, I have spent my entire social work career working predominantly with older adults, some middle-aged adults with chronic or terminal illness. And I did have one client in his 30s who had a terminal diagnosis. Um, so a lot of health-related um, anxiety and depression and then aging, end of life kind of stuff. And the pandemic hit. Uh, and then shortly after the pandemic hit, I gave birth to my daughter. Uh, she's almost two. And that was a huge full stop reset, figure out what the heck I'm doing with my life kind of moment. Um, I was on maternity leave for a few months and as that was coming to a close, I didn't feel like I was ready to be able to go back to work and be the kind of therapist that I felt I needed to be. Uh, motherhood in itself is a huge life change, or parenthood in itself, I should say, is a huge life change. And just adjusting to the emotional circumstance of that and the family dynamic change circumstance of that is enough and then add in the physical changes you know pregnancy takes a toll on your body and healing from pregnancy is hard at times and so lumping that in and then this overarching pandemic it was a lot and I felt like to go back to work I would be pouring from an empty cup and really not caring for myself. I, I felt like I was at my caregiving capacity with a new baby and just couldn't be there for my clients. And so I told them, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, but I, I can't come back to work right now. And that was really hard uh, because the work that I was doing was really meaningful, really fulfilling. And so just so much change all at once was a lot to grapple with. Uh, I am currently a stay-at-home mom still. I'm employed by my toddler. <laughs> um, I get paid in Cheerios and hugs. So, you know, it, it's a good not the, not the worst payment uh, option. No. <laughs> um, it, it is also a very fulfilling role, um, but it has taken these two years to really get into a groove of that because COVID just really changed so much. And I will also add for your listeners, you may hear a shrieking toddler in the background. Uh, she is with another adult. Um, she is cutting molars and <laughs> unhappy about that. She's a um, demanding employer today. Yes. So if you hear anything in the background, listeners, it's just her employer taking some time out of her work day. So you know, <laughs> there might be some demands made. So we'll just move through it and pretend like we don't hear it and everything will be fine yeah <laughs> um so yeah so that's that's how I got to 
today. Uh, and what I do from today onward is very much a work in progress. Um, my plan, my hope is to continue to be a stay-at-home mom, stay-at-home parent um, for the next year until my daughter starts preschool. And then once she starts preschool and I return to a career, I have been spending a lot of time thinking about, you know, what does that look like? And potted with purpose, I would love, I hope that I can turn that into a career. Right now it is purely volunteer um, hobby for my own sake and for the sake of my community. Um, it's not a paid gig, but if I can figure out a way to turn it into a career, I would really love to do that because it, it feels meaningful and it brings me joy in a way that I haven't felt with any other job I've ever had. And that's not to say that my psychotherapy work wasn't rewarding and fulfilling. It was, but something about Potted with Purpose, it just, it truly brings me pure joy and it's a great feeling. <laughs> That's awesome. Can you tell us a little bit about what Potted with Purpose is just yeah. so we establish that and then get to all the questions around it and conversations around it? Absolutely. Um, so Potted with Purpose is my joy for gardening and my joy for houseplants. Um, my husband might say my obsession for houseplants <laughs> shared in my community. So I live in Arlington, Massachusetts. Um, and throughout these last two years, as I became a mom and dealt with the isolation and the loneliness of social isolation and having a new baby and not having the supports that one might typically have in those new postpartum days, um, I really struggled with that. I, my postpartum depression and anxiety were pretty brutal and I'm very open about talking with those, about those diagnoses because I think it's important to name them and say what you're struggling with because that's how you ask for help and that's how you reduce stigma. I know a lot of moms who don't want to talk about that and feel a lot of shame about that. And there's nothing to be ashamed about if your body chemistry has shifted and you're feeling down and you're feeling worried and you know, add in the pandemic. That's a whole, a whole nother layer of stress. Um, and I was really struggling and needed an outlet to cope with all of the ups and downs of new parenthood and new parenthood in the pandemic. And I have always found gardening very soothing, very relaxing. I like to garden. My dad loves to garden and I think I inherited that from him. Um, and so through the worst of the postpartum depression and especially in the winter months when it's just like, oh, it gets dark at 4.30 and it's cold, um, caring for plants felt very soothing and very meditative. And it was a way for me to reset. And my husband's grandmother actually gave me the idea. She mentioned a friend of hers in the early days of the pandemic was coping with the isolation by propagating her houseplants and giving them to friends. That's such a beautiful, wonderful idea. And I have so many houseplants. I can do that. And 
who do I know who would like plants? And, you know, I had this network of elder care professionals that I worked with for years and years. So I reached out to a number of contacts and said, look, if I propagate some house plants, you know, have some clippings or whatever, would you take them and give them to your clients? No charge, just pass it on, spread the love, spread the joy. And they were really enthusiastic about that. And so I reached out a little bit further. Um, I got in touch with the Arlington Housing Authority. There are a number of senior residences in town. I said, you know, can I do this? Would you be open to it? And the response I got was very enthusiastic. You know, absolutely yes. So I reached out to my community. There's a Facebook group that's pretty active for folks who like to garden in Arlington. Uh, there's a Arlington listserv that's very active and so I posted there and said you know does anybody have houseplants you don't want or a really leggy pothos that need the haircut you know can I take those clippings and donate them to folks in town and the response has just been tremendous um, and so I take in plants I foster them I make sure that they're not withering away and then I donate them to the Arlington Housing Authority a couple of geriatric care managers I'm starting this month a uh, regular donation with the Arlington Council on Aging. Next town over is Lexington. They're interested. And so my basement has turned into a greenhouse. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it had to expand to my basement because I have two cats, one of whom thinks all of my house plants are his personal salad bar. Yeah. Um, and there are a lot of cat toxic plants in the world. Uh, so if you could imagine if you ever saw the Robin Williams Jumanji uh, at the very end when the house has basically turned into a jungle, my house looks something like that. <laughs> yeah. Just without the rhinos. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And no creepy poacher, you know, poking around. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. It's always a plus to not have those poachers. There. Uh, but yeah, so I just, every once in a while after I've donated a bunch of plants, if I'm running low, put out a message on one or both of those Facebook groups. And then just the response has been incredible. You know, this one woman keeps saying, oh, I have a couple plants for you. And then I show up and she has boxes full <laughs> of propagated plants and clippings. And that turns into, you know, 20 plants. And it's been really wonderful getting to know my neighbors in this and pulling people in and, you know, becoming friends with people who are, similarly passionate about plants and then I you know get to give them to folks who enjoy them and it, it just brings me a lot of joy that's awesome I, I love everything that you mentioned there in this sense of community you were able to develop from your own personal journey and reach outward and expand in, in that way and I think it's fantastic we're we're a little out of order in, in the show but that's okay we'll come Sorry. back to it. no no it's cool <laughs> It's good. Anyone who's made it to here knows what's in store for the rest. So, so that's good. We'll get into Potted with Purpose um, in a little bit. But I'm always a, a huge fan of origin stories and really getting a sense of, especially in human services, right? Really getting a sense of where this driver, this passion to do that work comes from. So I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about how you, one, approach getting your LICSW in social work and then to the population that you work with, what really drove that? And I know, and just for the listeners uh, edification, 
Nikki and I met volunteering at um, Safe Passage in Northampton, which is for uh, domestic violence support. And that's actually how we connected years and years ago. So it, it wasn't just a new thing once you were in school. It seems like that's always been a passion. So I always want to, you know, hear that origin story. A little yeah. Bit. Um, so the origin there is my senior year of high school. I took AP Psych and fell in love with psychology. You know, I thought that I wanted to go into international diplomacy. Uh, that was what I was thinking in terms of a major in college once I got to college. And then that psych class, just something clicked and I was really fascinated. And when I got to college, I took a number of psych courses and was just really just amazed by human behavior and human emotions and the spectrum of that and had no idea what I wanted to do. I just knew that I wanted to work with people in some capacity. And as I got closer to graduating college, I was thinking like, okay, what, what degree makes the most sense for me? I didn't want to necessarily go into a research field or a teaching field. I wanted to do more hands-on, one-on-one work. And in thinking about what kind of professional opportunities were out there and what sort of degree I would need to do counseling, I decided that social work school felt like the best fit. So immediately after graduating undergrad, I went straight into grad school um, and had a little bit of a bumpy time uh, just adjusting to living in a big city. I grew up on Cape Cod, it's pretty quiet <laughs> down there in the off season at least. Um, and so I was in Boston and just adjusting to that and being in school and not feeling super supported in grad school. Uh, it was a little bit of a challenge. And I really connected with a woman there. She was the coordinator of the geriatric program, um, BU's School of Social Work, Boston University's School of Social Work has a geriatric track. And she was so warm and reassuring and made me feel like that was the right place for me and that I had made the right decision. And I said, you know what, I, I feel really supported and I think I would like to explore geriatrics a little bit. And I had thought originally that I wanted to work with kids, um, but in meeting Reeve, uh, she really turned my life in a whole new, wonderful direction. And the second year of grad school, my final year of grad school, my internship was at a nursing home. And I remember my very first day I left and I called my mom on my way home. And I was like, this is what I want to do. I love this. This is my thing. Um, and that's what my thing was for many years, um, working in a nursing home. There's, I think that every age group and every population has something really special that they bring to the table, but I really, really love working with older adults and just learning from their decades of experience and all of the history that they've lived through. And there's something very powerful about end of life care. Um, I almost went into working in hospice. Um, I just, it's very profound and very moving uh, for me and helping people cope with that 
you know, older adulthood is the final chapter of this life and helping people come to terms with that is, it's a very intimate and very powerful thing. Um, and I just felt really humbled to be able to be a part of that and be with folks as they were coping with that and being with folks as they died. Um, and after a while working in the nursing home world didn't feel like the right fit. Um, a shout out to all the social workers in that role uh, for all of the hats that you have to wear uh, because typically one nursing home has one social worker and right. you do the admissions, you do the discharges, you do the assessments that are mandated by Medicare at a very frustrating frequency. <laughs> you are digging through the laundry, looking for the lost dentures. You are supporting a family who are having a tough time with whatever's going on with their loved one. You are calling all their protective services. You are dealing with everything under the sun. One of my former coworkers described my role there as the junk drawer in the kitchen. Yeah. because it's just a little bit everything I'm like oh yes that that is <laughs> exactly it um and after a while that felt like too much to handle and it was just a very stressful environment and I had thought for a long time about counseling and really wanted to do that and in my role as a social worker in a nursing home there there's no time for counseling I was lucky if I could have a five minute conversation with somebody who was really struggling. And that always, that didn't sit well with me. You know, for somebody who had fallen and broken a hip and was really terrified that they might never be able to go home and live in their house, or for somebody who had just been diagnosed with Parkinson's or somebody who was on their deathbed, you know, those are very stressful times. And I wanted to be able to sit and talk and like do justice to what that person was experiencing and I couldn't. Um, and I said, you know, I, I want to be able to do that and have the time to devote, to do the work and talk about what's on your mind and not just put a bandaid on a gaping wound. So I approached my boss and said, look, this is what I'm thinking about. What is the chance that I could work here part-time and start to build up a private practice. And he was so supportive of that. I, I will be forever grateful to him because he was just such a huge force in that. And so over a couple of years, I started building up a private practice and getting more comfortable and confident in that. And then in 2018, I finally said goodbye to the nursing home world and was just exclusively working with clients one-on-one -on -one in a counseling capacity. And it just, it was really incredible. Uh, I, I am so grateful that I had the opportunity to work with people really in depth and have really moving and hard conversations about what it means to live and what it means to die. Um, and just very, very powerful for me. And, you know, the, the, I wasn't doing the work for me, I was doing the work for them, but I, right. I got so much from that and I learned so much. And then also 
while I was in private practice, uh, a colleague of mine introduced me to the Parkinson's world. She had been running a Parkinson's support group and could no longer do that and asked if I would take it over. And I said, sure, but I don't know anything about Parkinson's. And over the years, now it's been five or six years that I've been running a Parkinson's support group, I've really learned a lot about the disease process and the treatments and the therapies and what it's like to live with Parkinson's and that work I'm still doing. Uh, I run a monthly support group, just helping that community come to terms with a really challenging diagnosis. You know, Parkinson's is a terminal illness. There is no cure. Uh, it's a degenerative disease. Um, you know, inevitably you decline with that diagnosis. And so being able to continue the work in a group setting and help folks come to terms with that and live with that to the best of their ability um, has been really powerful and a really great way to stay connected in the counseling world, even though I'm currently working in toddlerhood. <laughs> right. I, I think everything you, you just said, which was a lot, and there's a lot to unpack, right? <laughs> but like very succinct and very awesome information strikes a chord with me just in general, also being in that world, not geriatrics, but just the counseling world and sitting with people. And we don't do it for ourselves, but there is a form of response, our own personal response to working with people and holding that space and getting to know people. And I always say, you know, whenever I close out or whenever I'm working with someone, I, I like to remind them, you know, and thank them and say, thank you for, you know, opening your life up for me and allowing me to sit with you and, and be part of this. I actually just got a message from a client who was like, I just bought a house. I thought you needed to know because you're such an integral part of my life. And I was like, oh, that's incredibly sweet and, and touching in, in a way that is cool to, to just see that connection and how yeah. being able to, to sit with someone can have such a, a profound response. Yeah. And I miss that. You know, I, I know that I, right now I can't do that work and be able to care for my daughter and care for myself and care for my family and my friends. I, but I, I do miss that. I think that's also super profound because we don't talk about that a lot, especially in the human service field. I mean, there's the buzzword of, you know, self-care and pouring from an empty cup. Um, but it, it, unless you actually do that introspective work, you don't really realize what that means because there, a lot of times we have these connections to the people we work with. And then also this feeling of, oh, I have to, I have to keep doing this. I have to be there for people. I have to be a support. And I think early on, that was a really big struggle for me on how do I balance taking care of myself or how do I balance, you know, taking care of my family when I still feel, well, I, I got to show up for people because yeah. if I call out sick, that could be six to seven people who don't have that session that they were looking forward to, hopefully looking forward to. Yeah. I work with some kids. Sometimes they don't look forward to sessions with me. <laughs> um or maybe they don't outwardly look forward to it but yeah well they keep showing up and it's not just their parents so I get I guess you're right and that's a good reframe um and so for, when I started my own private practice early on and with the work I do with the nonprofit, that was a big thing for me struggling with this well how do I take vacation how do I take a sick day 
or how do I take my own mental health day? Because for me, that's going to the movies. I don't really, I mean, I don't really go now because the pandemic, but it, it used to be, oh, I'll go watch three movies <laughs> before <laughs> I had a family, before I was married and had a kid. I would just get lost in the movie theater as a mental health day. So I like that you're you're kind of sharing and you're open to saying, you know, I had to be really honest and saying I can't show up the way I wanted to show up because I have to prioritize this. Was that a struggle for you to get to that or was that something that, okay. Yeah, I, I felt a lot of guilt walking away from the field when I had intended to go back after maternity leave in part, just specifically for the clients that I had worked with, I told them I have every intention of coming back unless I have pregnancy complications, but also for broader society, the pandemic has just absolutely wreaked havoc on everyone's mental health with the exception of maybe Jeff Bezos, who seems to be having a grand old time. (laughs) I think Elon Musk is probably doing okay too. Yeah, the the two of them and their little space race. Um, but for everybody else, this has been a really hard time and unprecedented in this lifetime. And I mean, even with Spanish flu back in 1918, 19, you know, different life circumstances and so different pandemic. I, I struggled a lot and to a degree still feel some guilt about not being there because there are so many people who need counseling right now and want counseling and want to talk about everything they're going through. And there's a shortage of mental health professionals. All my colleagues, I mean, I'm preaching to the choir here. The wait lists are wild and trying to navigate the insurance system and who takes your benefits if you have health insurance and that whole bleh. And, and just it is it is a blip it, yeah. it's incredibly frustrating to be yes. honest there was a point I was thinking about as you were talking about that and we were talking about self-care and showing up for you know the people you work with and and that missing that ability and, and that commitment when you made that decision to take care of yourself and take care of your family and the beauty I think is that with Potter with Purpose you're kind of transforming the idea of therapy, right? Yeah. And, and I think that's where a lot of stuff is going. And a lot of, you know, the hope is a lot of therapeutic alliances and a lot of therapeutic interventions can kind of go this way too, of kind of turning things on their head and say, well, just because it's not necessarily in this kind of structure setting that we're used to, doesn't mean you're not showing up for for people in a different way and I think right. that that's what I really got from when you were explaining potted with purpose is this the other idea of oh I can show up and do this in a different way yeah. and I and I think you you know not that I'm a business-minded kind of person but I think you have a lot of potential with this to make it a career and an intervention that's a little bit different but still marry those loves that you have and show up for people yeah I'm wondering if that kind of eased the blow <laughs> a little bit of saying, okay, I do have to take care of myself, but here's this other creative way I, I can engage and still connect. Yeah. It, it's, it's still working with people. It, it's not in a therapy office. It, you know, it, it's not therapy, but it's therapeutic mm-hmm. for folks, you know, caring for plants, something about being in nature. 
can be so soothing and very mindful. And so I've been thinking a lot about, all right, when my daughter goes to school with my training, you know, what skills do I have from social work school and all my years of clinical practice that I can apply to gardening? And I've been thinking a lot about teaching mindful gardening workshops because sign me up. I'm there. (laughs) It's kind of like the perfect, the perfect combination of clinical practice, but also gardening. I, I keep explaining to my husband who sees that I'm passionate about it, but doesn't quite, you know, get it. I'm just like, I feel so happy around the plants and it sounds <laughs> like a, up on the soapbox here, but it's just so soothing to me. And if I can pass that on and teach other folks how to use gardening or caring for houseplants in a soothing way, that's great stress relief. That's a great mood boost and everybody can benefit from that. You know, I donate the plants to seniors in my town, but it doesn't have to be just seniors. It could be kids. It could be vets. It could be anybody. And I think that's the beauty of it is that, you know, we can all appreciate nature or natural elements, even if they're in a pot in our house. Um, And so I'm hoping that I can take this in a, and make it grow. Yeah. (laughs) Pun intended. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I think, I think you're right. Like the, the mindfulness aspect, it really keys into being present when you're, when you're doing that and really connecting with this process and it engages all your senses, which we know being therapists is one of the biggest grounding techniques used is engaging your five senses. And when you think about gardening, it does that really easily because you have to look, you have, you smell, you have your hands in the dirt, you're, you're really um, preening the plants. And, you know, if you're doing something that creates vegetables or edible flowers or anything like that, there's taste. And so it's, it's kind of this idea of, of mindfulness in its rawest form and it's really natural form if we're going to get punny with this episode which <laughs> I, I think we are oh um, i'm i have a very punny sense of humor i'm known yeah. for that so i'm all for it <laughs> and you should see my daughter she's gotten really good at rolling her eyes with my puns. so you know <laughs> we just had a bear at the house the, uh, yesterday and my aunt commented on it and it's like unbelievable and i think i responded unbelievable and she's she was like, that's barely even funny. And I responded, that's barely even funny. Um, so yeah, I think we're in good company right now with the puns. But I, I, do, I do love that because not only are you grounding and engaging in mindfulness, but you're also creating, I know people can think this is weird, but until you've done it, you're creating this connection and this caregiving kind of aspect yeah. of, of giving and taking because the plants also give to you Right. in a way that that is this reciprocal ability to regulate right and when when we talk about that in therapy co-regulation i'm sure there's been studies on that with plants and animals obviously um but i i think you usually go to humans and animals as co-regulating factors and sometimes we don't think about this other thing but i do think it's a huge component of what you're talking about yeah and then you know also the air quality in my house is improved because I have, you know, a bunch of plants and it's the symbiotic 
relationship there too. You know, as I'm exhaling, that's helping with it. So it, it just, it all just gels. And I think, I think now we could play the Lion King theme song, Circle of Life, and <laughs> very well with, with what we're talking about. As I hold up a plant. <laughs> um, I love that you've, you've been able to challenge yourself in, in many different ways and in, in this ability to move forward and, and connect. And I, I think something that stood out in the stories, your origin story that you shared was you didn't shy away from some, some of the work that was speaking to you, but could be considered by other people really intense and, and nerve wracking because end of life sitting with people who have these diseases or are thinking about this you know, next transition of life can be really hard. And then even further than that, it, it seems like each step, you're like, okay, this can be challenging, but this is really rewarding to me to, to do it. Uh, even with Potted With Purpose and taking care of your family and yourself, it seems to really ring true. Yeah, absolutely. Which I know is, <laughs> is a really hard thing to do when you're like, ah, I have so much going on. I, I don't know which direction, but I think if we, if we're introspective and keep an eye out for it, sometimes these things show up because we're thinking about it, we're ruminating on it, making these neural pathways in the brain. Yeah. Just to get nerdy and scientific with it. <laughs> well, Nikki, so we talked about your origin story. So we're going to start talking about superpower sets with awesome. these next couple of questions. Um, so the first question is if you could have any superpower, what would it be and why? Assuming superpowers are real and anything is possible. Okay. So I had to think about this one for a long time because there are a couple superpowers that I think I would really enjoy. But what I would most love is to be able to travel to any place in space. Because at this point and probably for the next couple of centuries at least, or ever, really let's be realistic ever you know humans aren't gonna know what is going on out in the furthest reaches of space and i would love to know what's out there and i'm really really excited the telescope that was launched a couple months ago yep. they said photos are gonna start coming in in june i'm like it's june <laughs> um i i'm just fascinated by what's out there and all of the possibilities. And so I would just really love to be able to go to the furthest corners of the universe and yeah. see that for myself. I think that's amazing. And, and, and I agree, I'm so excited for those photos to come back too, because my daughter and I were reading up on, on the telescope and how it's employed and, and how it works. And I think that interest in space also fits very well with what you do this is interest on, on the mind and, and connecting with people and these connections. And I think there are a lot of people who do this kind of work that we do, who also connect to this interest in learning more about what's out there and how things work and, and making these puzzle pieces start to make a little bit more sense. Plus it, you know, the, the pictures are just going to be beautiful. And, yeah. You know, we, we just listened to the audio version of how they captured the sound of the black hole. I don't know if you, listen to that no but it's uh it's very interesting because my daughter's super fascinated with black holes she, she's what does it sound like <laughs> it it's kind of eerie hold on 
no, we're, this is probably a copyright thing. I don't think I can play, yeah. <laughs> I don't think I can play <laughs> it on, on this podcast. I, I have the link, I think I, I can send it to you. Yeah. It's very interesting. I sent it to one of my friends and he does uh, music production. I said, you should make a beat with this because it's really, really cool and Ooh. nerdy and scientific. So yeah. Great answer though. I like, I like that directly Thanks. now. Um, so the second question is, what do you believe your true life superpower is? That also took a lot of thought. Um, I think, especially lately, it's the fact that I am resilient because at the beginning of the pandemic and especially like three or four or five months postpartum, my mood just really took a nosedive. Um, and it was a very challenging and very lonely time. You know, the winter of 2020 going into 2021, we were still in the alpha beta COVID variants. And my daughter was still this itty bitty baby with itty bitty lungs. My husband and I saw no one for months. It was the three of us in this house going nowhere, seeing no one in the dark in the winter. And it was not a good time. And I made it through. And I think part of that resiliency is something that I'm good at and that took a lot of practice uh, because I'm a very independent, I'm going to do it myself kind of person, um, is learning how to ask for help. And I'm grateful that my husband is such an incredible support um, and really held me together when I was falling apart. Um, so I, I think that being able to come through a really, really challenging period and some really awful life circumstances and some wonderful life circumstances. Don't get me wrong. You know, having a baby has been incredible and wonderful, but it's also very, very hard. <laughs> and when they say it takes a village, they're not kidding. It takes a village. Um, and to be able to come through that on the other side and be able to feel better and be able to know when and how to ask for help and to be open for help, um, I think has taken some time and some practice. Uh, and I think that I'm better at that now. Right. And it's a, a very valid point, this idea of needing connection and community around that. It, essentially, if, if we were to boil down humans kind of superpowers that ability to connect and find those those ways doesn't mean it always happens right and obviously we're in a state <laughs> in society where there's a lot of separation and us versus them mentality yeah. but i think at its core when we're born our ability to communicate needs through crying and attended attention and care from those around us really obviously getting more into science we could we can get into the specifics and hormones and all of that stuff. But I really do think the more we're able to open up and kind of have that, it's, it's really healing in yeah. many different ways. So thank you for sharing that and being open with that. And, I, I think it's important to be open with that. You know, I, I don't, I wouldn't want anybody to feel as awful as I was feeling. And I hope that, you know, to anybody listening that it might inspire you to ask for help 
if you're struggling because you don't need to suffer alone and having support and reaching out can be life-changing in the very best way. Um, and so I would say, try that and see if you're open to that um, because it, you know, human connection is really good medicine. I like that. That's going to be the name of the podcast. <laughs> good medicine. A human connection is good human medicine. Connect. <laughs> I try to steal from the podcast, like uh, guests for the name of the, the actual podcast. I wish I could come up with something a little more punny. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we have so many gems. We don't want to overwhelm people with the puns right off of that. So they'll just have to listen and, and get the point. So two questions, well, a couple more questions and okay. before the end of the podcast. I'm really interested because you are so obsessed with plants. I'm wondering what are some of your favorite plants, just so we can give some shout out to, All right. to plant. Um, so if I could have anything in my house, I would have 20 different varieties of philodendrons. Philodendrons are beautiful and they have such incredible texture to the leaves and color and pattern and they are so toxic to cats and <laughs> my cat dale just loves anything leafy uh, so to spare him the pain and suffering and to spare myself some very high vet bills <laughs> we don't have any philodendrons um but after he and my other cat have lived their nine lives there are going to be all kinds of philodendrons in the house um they're just really beautiful and vibrant. But some of the plants that I love the most that I currently have that are safe for the cats, I really like peperomias. Um, there are so many different varieties. I think I have five or six in the house, in my own houseplant collection. And they're all peperomias, but they all have such wildly different attributes, different color of the leaves and different pattern on the leaves. And some of the leaves are just really a completely different texture than the others. Um, and I really enjoy that. Um, I also have a Venus flytrap, which is just really fascinating. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think the biodiversity of plants is what really draws me to that because so many plants in the same classification can look so wildly different and they're just so unique and wonderful and I think that applies to people too you know there's so much diversity among humankind and that's wonderful that we're not all alike and that we all have these unique experiences that we can bring to the table that's fantastic thank you for, for sharing that I'll, I'll stop talking about the plants there because otherwise this is going to go <laughs> on go for go three on hours and be like, oh, and this one, and oh, and that one, and oh, and this one. Now, this is not the Joe Rogan <laughs> podcast where we say stupid shit and be racist and, <laughs> and things of that nature and record for three hours. That, that was my point, but then I got stuck on how crappy Joe, Joe Rogan Yeah. <laughs> um, so if, if anyone, if you need any resources or anyone wants to connect with you, what's the best way to reach out for helping out with potted with purpose uh potted with purpose at gmail.com um and 
I will do my best to respond as quickly as possible. Um, my website is pottedwithpurpose.com. And down at the bottom, it says my working hours are dictated by my toddler. <laughs> so. By your boss. Yeah. Okay, that's fantastic. And then if we, because you're so succinct and be, be able to sum up big things in a small period of time, if you wanted to leave one short gem of knowledge for the listeners to kind of take away from this podcast, what would it be? If you're struggling, ask for help. And I, you know, hindsight is 2020, but I'm not going to beat myself up over it because what good is that going to do me? None. But I think in these last two years, my quality of life would have been a lot better sooner had I acknowledged outwardly uh, that I was really struggling with postpartum anxiety and depression. And so if you're struggling with that or good old fashioned generalized anxiety or depression or any other mental health diagnosis, or even in the absence of a diagnosis, if you're just stressed or sad or something hard is in your life and you're not able to cope with it, ask for help. And my hope for the listeners is that you have someone in your life that is there to be supportive that when you ask for help, they meet that need. Um, and if they don't, don't give up, keep asking for help. Maybe you're asking someone else or looking for a different resource, but don't suffer. Awesome. I think that's, I'm saying it again. That's fantastic. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Nikki, as always, it's great to talk to you. Glad we got to see each other after all these years. Yeah. Sharing in the wisdom. Really great to hear. Well, thank you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast. If you or someone you know would like to be on the podcast, please outreach to us at info at the Promethean Project.org. If you want to learn more about the Promethean Project or if you would like to donate to our cause, you can reach us at the Promethean Project.org. If you really do enjoy this podcast, please share with your friends, like our posts on social media and Instagram and on Facebook, and please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or any podcast app that you like to listen to. Again, thank you for taking a listen. And remember that the most important step is always the next one.